This podcast contains coarse language, adult themes, and spoilers. My name's Peach, and for the past couple of years, I've been helping my friend Shag overcome his childhood aversions to everyday foods in the podcast Fussy Eater. Now it's his turn to help me conquer my phobia of scary movies over one spooky night in the FBI studios, one Wikipedia synopsis at a time. This is Spooker. Jag, I've learned so much more about Tony Yeo's loyalty since we last spoke. And just, like, I don't need to go into it too deeply, but we just, I just feel like Tony Yeo goes unacknowledged in the culture as being a pretty loyal guy. And I feel like a lot of people with boring music tastes like me have to listen to other people with boring music tastes talk about either Illmatic or Mad Villainy, two albums that I still consider to be fairly boring and don't care heaps about. And no one's talking about Tony Yeo's 2004 debut. And I just thought, just, I don't, I don't want us to talk as much about Tony Yeo as we have been recently. But just for so long as we were back on our Yeo bullshit, I just wanted to say, for the record, I like Tony Yeo and he's a loyal, good guy. So I've been thinking about something mm. to do with your obsession with Tony Yeo, which is fueled <laughs> by your social media's algorithms. Mm serving you Tony Ayo and late 90s, early noughties hip-hop content, right? Yep. So this is probably like one of those dumb high school student questions where I'm going to mm. say this to you and you'll be like, shut the fuck up, Shag, that's dumb. But What advice would you give to yourself in the past? No. No. Great question. No, no, but is genre, mm. because mm. obviously the algorithms have weaponized genres to yep. keep our attention glued to our screens because it's like you like this from this genre here's heaps more exactly the same is genre yep. a, a, like essentially not a tool of art but a tool of capitalism because it takes Whoa. art from a, away from you know appreciating a singular thing to <sighs> consuming as many of the same type as you know demand allows Shag, I think it's such a good question that it's not actually a good debate question. It's just like, checkmate. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> I just hear that question. I'm like, you're right. Yeah, there's no, <laughs> there's no speaking against what you've just said. Shag, yeah, we are, what are, like, what are they called? They're not called categories in marketing, the d- d- divisions. Oh, there's, there's lots of different terms depending on who you're talking to, but verticals, for example. Verticals. Mm-hmm. Yep. So we're just a bunch of different verticals, aren't we? We're a certain age and certain gender and fans of a certain sports team and whatever else. And so the way you market to us is you just try to get as many, across as many verticals as possible. And I've got to say, for any probably junior barristers who want referrals, a good way for them to go about getting referrals from me would be just pumping out some Tony Yayo content and being like, oh, by the way, I'm a, I'm a commercial barrister, junior commercial barrister who could do with some referrals. And I'm like, oh, we've already built up a relationship over Tony Yayo. I think I'm more inclined than I was before to send you some referrals. So within horror, mm. there is just like within hip hop, there, there's room for so many genres, including all of Tony Yayo's content. <laughs> <laughs> from the late 90s, kind of? Well, he only got out of jail, like, one of the, so, uh, <laughs> like, do you really want me to answer that question? <laughs> Should we just, just quickly, because we talk about him a lot and we never speak mm. about it, let's just, yep. just really, sh- Peach, I, we don't need to spend seconds. the whole episode oh, on this, but he was right. part of G-Unit, right? He was part That's of 50 right. Cent's crew. 
Yes, and he was imprisoned in something like the very late 90s, very early noughties, um, and he was imprisoned before, sorry, after being very loyal to 50 Cent, and so 50 Cent considered he owed him some loyalty. And so on leaving prison, Tony Yayo sort of waltzed straight into a get rich or die trying level 50 cent of like, oh, fuck, this guy who I was friends with is all of a sudden the biggest rapper on the planet. At 50 cents, like, hey, I'm super loyal. Like, you're coming straight out on tour with me and we're going to launch your music career just like we always said we would. And so one of the, like, it, like everything winds back to 50's book. He's like, look, Tony Yayo, I thought it was going to go really well, but here are some problems with Tony Yayo and why he <laughs> fucked it up. 50's commentary on it was, Tony Yayo was kind of handed a music career before breaking his mindset of being a kind of reasonably assertive mid-level drug dealer. And so 50 tells a story of every time they'd do a few club appearances for G-Unit and get paid 150 grand, Tony Yayo would be like, sick, we're going to buy, you know, however much cocaine or whatever else you buy for that. We're going to flip it and we're going to do this, that and the other. And we're going to get in fights and carry guns and it's going to be sick. And 50 Cent was like, look, one of the great challenges managing Tony Yayo was trying to get him to tone down the energy where he wanted to, like, rob the music executives we were meeting with and stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> and so he sort of ends up being this interesting guy where in pop culture now, like, the only way he can make money is by rebuilding his brand by being a sort of old school OG head being interviewed on podcasts. And so all he does is go around pleasing, pleasing me um, by being like, oh, 50 Cent's a nice guy. <laughs> Um, on these old podcasts and I think he's trying to rebuild his relevance in doing that uh, and it's working as far as I'm concerned so uh, if you want to sell music to me that's the way to do it well that's that, that's an interesting point right like mm. do you just deep down love Tony Ayo and his story or is the content you're being served like subconsciously implanting like a deeper love for him and his art I don't think I can. I think I'm too close to be able to answer that question. <laughs> like, you know, the way algorithmic, the way the algorithm treats like songs we like and culture we consume. Like, how many of those pop punk bands we listened to in the late 90s were any good? The answer is zero. <laughs> <laughs> there are a couple of like, I, I, I think I told you recently that I went to like a local brewery who's like, we're like a guitar rock brewery, dude. Near, 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 near. We're going to play three Lagwagon albums in a row. And, and, you know, you listen to that for two and a half hours or whatever. It's like, this, we, even if it's just pop punk, can we just listen to any, anything else? <laughs> and I was like, what about Mill and Colin? They were a fun pop punk band of the late 90s and every song was super boring and just kind of went nowhere. So I think that is almost an example of an art that came with an identity. It was like, yes, I'm that identity. Therefore, I consume that art. So even back then, Chag, I was vertical. And so... I'm not sure I can answer the question as to whether the content projected at me, so whether the projection of the content or the content itself is what I'm passionate about. But either way, Tony Yeo, loyal guy. Let's get him on the pod, on the pod next week. That Tony would actually Yeo. be amazing. Uh, okay, I, I ask this because mm. there are so many subgenres within horror mm. and I love the idea of expanding your understanding of it and, mm. you know, taking you to the far corners where things are really fucked up. But at the same time, I've always avoided a subgenre, which, I mean, is arguably tangential and maybe not exactly part of horror, but rape revenge thrillers, which, yes. God, like, I I'm pretty sure- That's what Salo is, isn't it? No, no, no. No, no. So, so generally, like, I, I mean, they all follow a really simple 
uh, template in that it always starts with a pretty like horrific act of violence from mm. men or, you know, uh, deeply misogynistic women against women. And then mm. the rest of the film is the punishment that those people deserve for that act of violence. Where mm. it's like, I mean, obviously that's all, you know, like you can write films about anything, but, and you can make films about anything and that's fine. But thank you. Well, yeah, well, you can't actually, you're right. <laughs> but where that becomes problematic is often, especially in the 80s, because no director or cinematographer knew how to shoot women without sexualizing them, often those rapes were kind of shot like sex scenes or shot like a little bit exploitatively. And and so it just like in general, there are films like I Spit on Your Grave, which are like so famous and so iconic for a podcast like ours that I, I probably won't touch. Yep. But we did Revenge a couple of years ago. We did Revenge. And uh, yeah, and I think Revenge mm. was, I think Revenge definitely handled it better. And, you know, it had a female director, which was, probably a big mm. part of it but yeah you know it was an update on a genre while still being like you know absolutely horrific yep. but you know we're in our we're in our friendship homework era we're mm. inviting people to suggest films mm. and there's a film someone suggested that's not specifically rape revenge but this was suggested by carrie and she was like, you've got to do this film. Peach will hate it. And straight away I was like, okay, that's a big part of the pod. Like it's fun I when dislike you- most. <laughs> no, but it's fun when you like viscerally don't enjoy a synopsis and you're going to hate this one like oh, so, so oh, much. Shit. Like so, so much. This is also not like a film I enjoyed. This is a film that is definitely one of those films where it's like I'm glad it exists because – it makes me realize that the genre is actually kind of dangerous, but it's not a film I enjoyed. It's a film I felt kind of dirty watching. And in fact, I knew about this film years before I watched it because it wasn't something that was readily available in Australia. And then eventually it was buried at the back of one of the streaming services, not even Shutter. I think it was on like Prime Video or something. And then like one solo night, I watched it by myself and felt awful by the end. I knew everything that was going to happen in it, watched the whole thing, and I felt awful by the end of it. Peach. Thanks, Carrie. Peach, are you ready for today's film? No, I'm already (laughs) feeling... I had a bit of Tony Yayo content earlier today and it left me feeling really chippy and, and excited. But yeah, okay, tell me, what are we all doing? All right, well, get ready to fuck up your YouTube algorithm, although they're all sort of connected. So get ready to fuck up them all with a film from 2011 simply called The Woman. Shit, man. Oh, but already you're like, oh, like, you know, with a with a name that nondescript, it's going to be awful. Like, like, and awful is in like fucked up. But it also speaks to just a lack of creativity. I mean, I also think it's it's trying to say that it has something to say. And let's see what you think about that claim by the end of this synopsis. This is our project. And it's a secret. What are we going to do with her? We're going to help her. We're going to train her, civilize her, free her from herself, from her baser instincts. Do you really think we should be doing this? Do we really get to keep her? We do. Uh, like, 
I sometimes just feel like men shouldn't be allowed to do works of creativity. Like maybe we should just take five decades off. <laughs> we should take some time and off. just let let like let the culture reassert itself without fucking men. Like what? Like what? Like I don't know. Do I already know what happens in this movie? I you actually don't. Movie. You don't, and you're gonna feel even worse. Like uh, uh, this is this is it's episodes like this. Like genuinely, I feel a little bit bad for forcing you into Feel Bad Club. And also, if you're listening to this and you're like Peach and you're like, I don't know about this, feel free. Like, we have heaps of other episodes. We're going to have another one next week. There are fun ones. Just like, it, <laughs> like, oh, like the black phone I stand by. I'm sure it was fun to listen to. <laughs> I listened back to um, the other Ethan Hawke one, the Hey, It's a Lockdown. Hey, It's a Lockdown, I think it was oh, called. Oh, the it's called Hey, It's a Lockdown. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's a lockdown. Watch out, everybody. <laughs> Love Ethan Hawke.com. <laughs> yeah, they're fun. Um, yeah, but I think men making works of creativity, I think it's, I think, like, I think I'm ready to just take a breather now. I, like, I don't know, Shag. I watched you mm. watching that trailer. And yeah, I'm, mm. I'm, I'm, I am really sorry. But let's talk about this film that. I, I chose to do. I can, I can say it was friendship homework, but I chose to do. There's been a lot of films suggested, and this one sparked my interest. Like I said, because it was one of those dark films that I knew about before I saw it, and then I saw it, and I regretted seeing it because it made me feel so bad. And part of Feel Bad Club is feeling so bad that it doesn't actually feel good. That's, that's a big part of Feel Bad Club. But let's, let's talk about it because this film has a pretty remarkable horror heritage. So... Talking about like genres being a product of capitalism, it's like I think it's kind of true in the sense that once there's a successful piece of art, the yeah, market goes, well give me an endless ding, supply ding, ding, of these ding, ding. just slightly different versions of this, right? Yep. Stephen King, every horror writer basically follows the Stephen King template, right? Mm. 1974 was Carrie that he first put out, and he's essentially been a giant in the horror scene ever since. He is Chad JBT. Like, like he's just a Stephen King fucking AI chatbot. So there are so many Stephen King alikes in the horror world and they all have their different spins on them. And the one who wrote The Woman is kind of like Stephen King, but Stephen King who has no moral flaw or boundaries and just writes the most fucked up things. His first book, which came out in 1980, is called Off Season. And it was so like... I read, like, everybody talks about, like, reading the history of this book. They're like, at the time, critics called it torture porn. But then I looked that up, and, in fact, the term torture p- porn wasn't coined until 2005. Yeah. But basically, they were like, this is just gore for gore's sake. No one should read this book. To the point where it was successful, and this is, like, pre-publishers needing every mm. cent they can get. The publisher decided to not print anymore after its first run because it was like, this is morally bad. We shouldn't print anymore. Mm. And, it, like, the book wasn't printed anymore until I think 1999 when it was picked up by another publisher. I searched this book again years ago in my, you know, in one of my like horror journeys, found it on one of the like probably book depository or something, RIP, for for a ridiculous, a secondhand copy for like 65 bucks or something plus shipping that I bought because I'm like, I want to know more about this book. I ended up reading it feeling really bad and it's it's awful and disgusting and properly, you know, makes you feel sick, that sort of thing, right? Is this Jack Ketchum? His name's Jack Ketchum. And if you look him up, he kind of looks like Willem Dafoe's stunt double. That's, uh, just put that in your mind. I, I don't mean that to like, 
face shame him. I've got the protagonist from the Pokemon cartoon series <laughs> in my head who I think his name is Ash Ketchum. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah. that's who springs to mind. Yeah, me. no relation. Anyway, his first book was so awful. It was called Off Season. And it was basically about a group of like rich New Yorkers going for a trip to the country where they're slowly brutalized and tortured and killed one by one by a remote cannibalistic tribe that lives in the forests of the USA and has been uncontacted by civilization for centuries. And it, I think it's based on an actual, not not like a Native American tribe, but like, you know, white people tribe that ran amok in America during, I don't know, the American history. Sometime between it being what it is now. Yeah, sometime between 1492 <laughs> and 2023. <laughs> Basically, sometime <laughs> between that, there was the story of some rogue settlers who killed and ate people, right? So it's based on that. But anyway, mm. he's created a long-running series of books about these, you know, this cannibalistic tribe, and the woman is just the latest, was, in 2011, was just the latest book and story in mm. that series. Are you following? Does this all yeah, make sense? it does. All right, so this isn't strictly a rape-revenge film because it doesn't follow the formula exactly but it is about and i think it's very pointedly called the woman because it is about really awful men and uh and and people that enable those men brutalizing a woman or, or women and then the awful repercussions that that wreaks for them <sighs> so it is so you you know broadly what's going to happen which there you go. You don't like <laughs> the prophecy has come to fruition. Okay, let's do this. All right. So if you're ready for this, all right. So once again, the woman from 2011, Carrie, thank you. It begins like it, th there's, I think there's a bit of assumed knowledge here. Like you could come mm. into this blind, but it kind of helps to know that it begins with this. And they, they use this term. I don't know if this is right, but th they keep referring to her as the feral woman who is oh, washing herself by, like, a river in the woods in somewhere on the northeast coast of America. We then have Chris Cleek. Now, he's a country lawyer. He lives with his wife, Belle, their two daughters, Peggy and Darlin, and their <clears throat> son, Brian. Now, yeah. what's not described here is Chris presents himself as like a loving family man but is actually like a really shit dude pretty much only fathers the son brian basically like treats his wife Belle and his daughters peggy and darlin awfully and is essentially raising brian to do the same to all the women in his life not all lawyers so while out hunting chris sees the woman who is bathing and fishing on a creek Chris decides he's going to civilize her, so the next day, Chris returns with a net in an effort to capture her. Once captured, Chris returns home with her and restrains her in a cellar, then directs his family to help with his job in civilizing her, which basically involves tying her up in this, like, dank basement and just slowly doing awful things. Over the following days, the clique family is revealed to be very dysfunctional, Chris's first attempt to approach the woman results in her biting off and eating his ring finger. Oh, that's pretty cool. 
So Chris orchestrates a violent series of civilizing measures towards the women in return. I don't think, like, I, yeah, look, I don't want to go in at Wikipedia, like, entry. I don't, is civilizing measures put in inverted commas, Shag, in that entry? It, uh, the f- it's in its first usage, yes. Yeah, okay. Like, the reason why we do the Wikipedia synopses is these are the most sanitized way to talk about what happens in these films without, you know, going whole hog disturbing you. But do, do Wikipedia writers have a responsibility, do you think? I think, I think we all, like, I think, it, not legally, I think it's probably step one, but I think there's that element of if you're going to take responsibility for something someone else is going to rely on to... To, if you're going to take responsibility to educate someone else, which is what a Wikipedia writer would do, then I think that responsibility is pretty solemn. And I think it goes beyond using a phrase like that to describe this sort of behaviour. So this podcast was, you know, one of the things it was based on was the insight that I know that people who are scared of horror movies often go to the Wikipedia synopsis to find out what happens because mm. there's there's both a fear of them, but there's, you know, a desire to, to know. Yeah, the yeah. desire of the unknown is the desire of what you fear. Mm. And often those people are going to be really young and potentially yeah. not, you know, not, not, not have the media understanding to read between the lines of what's written. So, yeah, potentially you're right. Potentially there is a, there is a responsibility here. I do think I am right. I don't think there's a lot of space for that. I, it's almost like the point you made at the start of the episode. Like, you know, man, you're just right about that. <laughs> <laughs> I, anyway, continue. Sorry. That is such a yeah. Anyway, look, we we keep digressing. <laughs> is that, a very, is that very me? Is it? It's like no. Ooh, I, right. lo- I love that idea of a debate question so powerful there can't be two sides. It's like, no. <laughs> <laughs> There's just one side to this story. It's just one side. Both of sides of the affirmative. <laughs> <laughs> as this, as the speaker for the second affirmative, I'd also like to agree with what. Uh, <laughs> The first week. <laughs> I'd also, I'd further like to add uh, on top of what the first speaker said is that yes, retweet. I agree with yeah, that. It's just the retweet. <laughs> all right, sorry, oh, going down. Uh, yeah, lo- uh oh. All right, okay. So, all right. Glad we had a little levity break. Back to the woman. Oh. Chris Cleek. Are we nearly at the end? No, God, no. Chris okay. Cleek, awful patriarch of his trapped family because they live in the country in you know one of those big beautiful country uh, mansions on a lot of yeah. land they also raise dogs they raise like they they train sort of hunting dogs because that's like his thing so they've got a big barn just just so you know like dog breeders is a proper red flag shout out to all our dog breeder listeners but also shout out to maybe <laughs> don't be dog breeders <laughs> but there you go see like mm. i mean i do think there is some depth to this film but maybe not as much as it thinks it has but anyway all right so mm. So they you know, like this family is on this farm with this awful patriarch and then essentially raising his son Brian to be as bad as him. It's quite an awful fearful situation for all the women in this film, not just the woman in the in the cellar, but also the women mm. in the house. And they outnumber them. And that's the other thing. You know, they outnumber Brian and Chris, but they just have this stranglehold on them and they control everything. Anyway, so after he gets his finger bitten off, he's like, "Okay, you know, I need <laughs> I'm just going to describe it how mm-hmm. Wikipedia describes it. So he bathes the woman with boiling water, which isn't really like I guess the way the reason they describe it like that is because he's using the affectations of bathing, but it's boiling water, so it's mm-hmm. scalding her skin, and then a high pressure power washer causing her extreme pain, mm-hmm. just to be like, 
assert his whatever, like whatever. Mm-hmm. That night, he dresses her in a dress that Belle, the wife, sewed, and Chris sexually assaults the woman while she's tied up, while Brian secretly <laughs> observes from outside. Mm-hmm. The next day, Brian also goes to torment the woman with a pair of pliers and oh God. And, yeah. and, and tortures her, but is caught is by- Is Jack pe- Ketchum still alive? Like, no, he's dead. He died a couple of years ago. Fucking eat shit. Yeah, cool. But he's caught, he's caught by Peggy, who's like, I'm going to tell mum. Mum tells dad, but dad just laughs it off as that's what adolescent boys do. Boys will be boys, yeah. Nice. Boys will be boys. Mm-hmm. This ramps up to a series of, uh, like, basically, like a pretty, you know, a pretty violent verbal altercation when Belle says, I'm going to leave this house and I'm going to take my daughters, but not my rapist son. Mm-hmm. Uh, at which point, Chris punches her in the face and stomach and knocks her unconscious. At this point, Peggy's geometry teacher, so Peggy is the eldest daughter. Peggy's geometry teacher, Mrs. Genevieve Raton, visits the clique residence with the suspicion that Peggy might be pregnant. Chris angrily assumes that Miss Raton is accusing him of rape and incest, which we find out later is probably true, then proceeds to knock her unconscious in response as well. Chris and Brian tie the teacher up and take her into the barn where he keeps the family dogs. Peggy tries to intervene, but becomes a victim of Chris's vicious verbal assault. In the barn, okay, this is where it gets like... Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm, like, I'm just going to read this, okay? I'm, I'm really sorry. In fact, I'm not, no, I should, if I was sorry, I wouldn't do it. Peach, I'm going to read this to you. This is, this is where I understand. This, this is where this is going. the podcast. Yep, I'm with you. In the barn, Ms. Raton is attacked by an eyeless girl named Socket, who the cliques keep oh, with their nice. dogs, who is their secret third daughter who behaves like the dogs. Like again, like again, I don't want to go to the Wikipedia synopsis. Like you can't say named socket. Like that's. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so my real my real problem is well yeah. That uh, look, I I mm-hmm. saw this film a couple of years ago. I didn't want to watch it again to do this, so I, I'm just doing it. But my understanding sure, cool. is either it's na- I I know definitely in the book. She's named mm. a socket, and they they go a little bit into her detail, and we know she's definitely the third daughter of the family. Mm-hmm. But I, I believe in the film, probably the dad and the son are like, get her a socket sort of thing. Like, it's probably pretty awful, right? Anyway, Socket kills Mrs. Raton by eating her face, which we watch, and it's awful, mm-hmm. as Chris and Brian watch. And then Chris is like, Brian... Go get the wood chipper because the dogs aren't going to be, be able to eat all of this. Peggy, who can't take any of this anymore, releases the imprisoned woman from the cellar. Now, I think what's interesting here and why I think this film has something to say mm. is who the woman attacks. So, Belle, having regained consciousness, is attacked and killed by the woman. So, first and foremost, the woman kills Belle, the wife, with an implication okay. that, that, yes, the wife is absolutely a victim, but she's also been enabling this and like it's a it's a tricky thing to say but there's a reason why bell uh, why bell is killed by the woman uh next 
There's a Madeleine Albright again. Yeah, maybe now's not the time for riffing on second wave feminism and Madeleine Albright's quote. Yeah, maybe maybe we just let that go. Well, Next, yeah, no, sorry, yeah, let's just let that go. The woman takes a lawnmower blade and proceeds to cut Brian the son in half. And again, like he's a teenager, but we see half his body. We see his organs dangle out. And then finally. The lawnmowers have blades or are they whippy? No, they do have like, no, no, whippersnippers or I think they're called weed whackers in America, but whippersnippers we call them here, which I think is a way cuter name. Yeah. Um, Yeah, like slippery dip. It's slippery um, dip, but a whippersnipper. It's it's adorable. Yeah, no. So so the woman has killed Belle, Chris's wife. He has killed Brian, the son. She's killed Brian, the son. Chris gets his gun, tries to shoot the woman. But the woman overpowers him, punches her hand into his stomach, pulls out like pulls out his heart, and then eats it while he watches. Like I, I imagine you could probably still stay alive for like a little bit, and he slowly watches her eat his heart as he dies. After yeah, well, all- that's like an interesting point, isn't it? Like, how long do you stay alive with your heart being ripped out of your chest? Because, because I don't think, like, we're pretty sophisticated machines, right? So it's not like. But also, we're not run by, like, electrical, like, you know, an instantaneous electrical current. So, it's not like you rip out my heart and I go, Bzz. like, I think there's still, there's still a bit of blood. I pretty quickly after I do that? I think you do. You pro- Look, you probably do. I don't know. What am I talking about? I don't know. Me too. I'm having fun. I'm back to having fun. Let's but go. I think it, well, well, I mean, this is it, right? Because they've got mm. their punishment and it's been suitably severe. Like, it's been absolutely mm. severe. Like, it needed to be and it was. Afterward, the woman makes her way to the clique's house where she places her hand on Peggy's uterus, confirming that Peggy really is pregnant with Chris's child. The woman then leaves with Darlin because she puts her, finger, her bloody finger to Peggy and Darlin, the youngest. Peggy sort of shies away, but Darlin licks her bloody finger, which is a weird callback to the invitation last week. I didn't think we'd have yeah. one, but it does. <laughs> it is, yeah. So... The woman then takes Darlin's hand and with Socket sort of chasing along as their pet, makes their way into the woods. Peggy watches as they leave and she slowly starts following at a distance. To become the new cannibal family in the woods. Yep, okay. And that's the end of the woman. I guess, first of all, Peach, before we go into whether you liked it or not, do you Hmm. think it had something to say? No, but... I think that the writer thought it had something to say. I like I, I like your read of it rather than uh, like I, I think it's more or less inexcusable, and it's certainly exploitative, and there's just no need to create art like this. Um, and I think the only reason you would is if you lacked self-reflexivity. Um, spreading ideas like this, I think, is irresponsible and dangerous, but I guess that's a criticism I I make of a lot of horror. But I find this to be particularly mean-spirited, particularly exploitative, and especially if it's dressed in the guise of, it's like, see, I get it, like, not all men type post-feminism. Oh, come on, not all men, you guys. I get that there's a patriarchy. Like, I feel like it's really dressed in the, I don't see race, I don't see gender type bullshit. Like, this is an oppressive act of patriarchal oppression um and i i see it as more or less inexcusable but certainly a relic 
that, yeah, just further support for the fact that maybe men should take 50 years off creating and just shut the fuck up for a few decades. So, Carrie, you were right. Peach hated it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really hated it. If I, only Tony Yayo, like Tony Yayo can keep creating stuff, but I think if we just leave it to Tony. I love that all men except Tony Yayo <laughs> yeah. can keep creating stuff. Yeah. No, he's a loyal guy, and I think he'd do a better job than this, and he'd be loyal. Like, he probably is He probably is a good ally, Tony Yayo. He'd be like, look, you know, I'm, I'm loyal to everyone out there, uh, and I'm here to dismantle the patriarchy, whether it's by dealing drugs, staying in jail, or appearing on podcast in support of my good friend 50 Cent. Uh, thank you, as usual, everybody. Please follow us and tell us what films we haven't covered and that we need to cover, and particularly what films <laughs> Peach is really going to hate, because... <laughs> As weird that felt as, yeah, it, it felt bad, it felt dark, but it's always secretly enjoyable to uh, push Peach's buttons. We're down to do some friendship homework. It's not going to last forever, but we're in our friendship homework era. Uh, this was recorded at FBI Studios. Please like, subscribe and follow wherever you can and as much as you can. And Resh's, what's up?